0: I am Norma Maite from Venezuela. And I am Elias Herrera from Venezuela. Venezuelan is a oil country. Many people from many countries. When we are here, we can understand the other aliens in our country. When we came to Plainfield, we not friends. Mm-hmm. Not friends. Everything changed in our life because we are here, and, and that is important. Uh, to to be immersion in in, in that culture is the only way that that you can take the the culture. We felt that the the good news that God began in us continue here, and we know that that is the purpose of God in our life we can motivate another people to forgive to give love to help we every day know that we are here because God we know that we are sure that Glad you're here to worship with us, and uh, let's uh, just uh, be silent before the Lord in uh, preparation for his word today. Quiet our hearts, our Father, and I pray the words that we receive this morning from your word will be a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. In Jesus' name, Amen. Or in 1 Peter chapter 3, Uh, use your devices or even maybe in paper form even to to turn to that passage of Scripture. You know, there's some texts that we look at, and it takes a lot of study, takes a lot of insights. The passage we look at next week, and for instance, there's a couple of verses there, volumes have been written on a couple of verses in that text. Uh, This week's text is not like that. You can be a novice to Scripture and look at these few verses we're examining today and uh, get the point. You can understand it pretty simply. Peter, remember, is writing in 62 AD. His audience are those people who are enduring all kinds of persecution because they are followers of Jesus. Slaves are under uh, some harsh rulers, and they have to learn to submit to that. Uh, they are dealing with being citizens in the Roman Empire, an empire that is increasingly a tyrannical one against believers in Jesus. Uh, all kinds, there's all kinds of fallout that these people endure because of their faith in Christ. Peter is writing them to encourage them and to help them to be bold in their faith and to not lose sight of the fact that God is with them. And this salvation that they have come into, they've been born again into this living hope that whatever they have to endure, that it's, that it's worth it. Now, thankfully, in our country, there's not the same level of persecution, although it is seen and felt in different ways in an increasingly uh, post-Christian society like ours. And my, my guess is it will be worse in time with the generations to come. But we all do know what it's like to be inundated in life through circumstances, situations that we'd rather not be going through, different kinds of pain, different kinds of hardships. And no matter the source of those pains and hardships we go through, uh, it requires the same kind of bold faith to stand up against it. And so these words are encouraging to us as well. Here's the text, chapter 3, verse Mm 8. Finally, all of you, finally, so he's coming toward the end now, we're, we're, we're coming toward the end. his concluding remarks of these words of encouragement. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing Because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn away from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Henry David Thoreau wrote, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. I think that speaks probably truthfully of all generations, because broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the pathway that leads to life, the Bible says. So most people will try to cover up the sense within that not all is well. But there's nobody that has to live that way when we've been exposed to the gospel of Christ. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Or have it to the full. Have it to the max. Even in the midst of life's hardships, pains, even in the midst of, of Satan's attacks, and whatever he may doing, we can know a good life and a blessed life when we walk in the light of the Lord. Verse 12 says, uh, says that there are three fundamental truths about the goodness of God when it mentions his eyes, his ears, and his face. Now, God has none of those things. This is anthropomorphic language that is attributing human characteristics to God. None of us knows what God looks like. Uh, the Bible says he is spirit. You may try to visualize him. I used to say and challenge People. Now, picture what God is like. I don't do that anymore because I think I think, it's a, I think it's, it's, it's a process by which we would end up reducing God no matter how we try to paint him. He is infinite. He is spirit. He is so far beyond us. Any, any way we might attribute to him a, a physical form is to reduce him. One little boy was coloring, you know, and his mom says, what are you, what are you coloring? He says, I'm, I'm drawing a picture of God. He said, well, nobody knows what God looks like. He said, well, they'll, they'll know when I get done. Mm-hmm. Our, our statement about God, our, our describing him, is far less than what, what it should be. We let him be who he is. Nevertheless, God helps us by, by giving these, these, the, using these words so that we can know his characteristics and what he is like, not in physical form, but in the being that he is. So these the simple word pictures are here to tell us God is good, because he's very good, and we are blessed. He is good, and we are blessed. And for the believer, every day is a blessed day, regardless of life conditions. First of all, we're blessed knowing that God is watching us. Now, when, when you'll notice in your text that Peter uses quotation marks. He's quoting from the Old Testament scripture, Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is written by David when he's fleeing from Abimelech, who's out to kill him. And David runs to this other city, this other town, and he pretends to be insane Uh, so that they will take him in and he can find some refuge. So in other words, in that situation, David himself is undergoing all kinds of hardship and persecution. And so this is what he writes in response. Peter, being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, God's breathing to him what to write, calls to his memory Psalm 34, and so he borrows from Psalm 34, just like we quote scripture in our lives to help us. That's what Peter is doing here. So in verse 12, he says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The righteous means we are right with God, even though we know we're not perfect people, we still struggle in in these bodies of sin. In which we live, but being saved by the blood when we are saved by, when we are born again, when the blood of Christ is over us, we are declared righteous right with God, and we're treated as as his own son Jesus is treated because because of his grace and his goodness toward us, and we've surrendered to him. Uh, there was a time we used to carry things like money, right? We don't carry money much. oh, I do have a dollar in there. Uh, but we, we live by plastic a lot on debit cards, right but uh, the dollar bill on the back, you'll remember, on the left, there's that circle with the pyramid. And the pyramid is to represent the American endeavor uh, is never over. It's an ongoing work. And then the eye there is, is, is the all-seeing eye. And the founders you know, wanted that there to, sh- to, uh, to represent that God is always watching us. Now, we don't need the dollar bill to tell us that. The Bible tells us that over and over again. Proverbs fifteen three says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. You ever have a sense that somebody's watching you, and you look, and they are? They say, if you stare at somebody long enough that doesn't know that you're being, they're being watched, finally, they'll sense it, and they'll turn. I'm going to try that this week with people. I'm just going to see if people... It might be you, so watch out where you are. So, now, that, that thought that God is watching you can either create terrible paranoia or can give you great peace. It depends on where you are in your journey with the Lord. God wants us to know great peace about that. Uh, trivia, uh, 1991, Song of the Year. That's a what? That's a question, That's a question. yes. Yes doll. If you don't get that part of the sermon, how are you going to get the rest of the part of the sermon? (laughs) Okay, song. Okay. Clue. Bette Midler. What? Who got that? From a distance. Who said that? Very good. Very good. So from a distance. And remember, and from a distance, what did it say? God is watching us. God is watching us. Isn't it interesting that the secular world chose that as a song of the year? I think it demonstrates that even the world senses there's something more, there's something beyond, and that by and large, we like knowing that there is someone watching over us, and there is. Um, Sadly, there's some that see him, even in the context of faith, that see God as some divine cop uh, wagging his finger, you know, catching us. You know, like, like driving. We we'll always look in our rearview mirror, you know. You know, we have ways on our phone to see if there's a cop up ahead or something. Then we can view, view God that way. That's not God. If he is correcting us, if he is stopping us in our tracks, it's only to bring us under conviction and to make us better because he loves us so much. Not to destroy us and rob us of life. He doesn't want to hurt us, he wants to help us. Second Chronicles 16 says, For the eyes of the Lord reigns throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's on a global quest for men and women and teenagers and children who will lay down their lives and commit themselves to him. And as Kyle reminded us a few weeks ago, seven billion people in the world. Um, and in his context, he was talking about being chosen. Here, seven billion people, and God notices you. He sees you. He knows what your life looks like. He knows what you're dealing with. He, he's, he's focused on you. Now, I'm not. You'll notice one of my weaknesses is not focusing on the people I'm talking to. And I can be looking at you, then I'm looking over your shoulder at somebody else I want to talk to, right? So I'm inviting you. When my eyes wander talking to you, say, hey, buddy, look at me. I'm talking to you right now, and I'll get focused on you again. I'm not very good at that. God is. He is able to see every life on the face of the earth, He holds the stars and the planets in place and he has you in the palm of his hand as well if you have surrendered your life to him, if you've given your life to him. And so, he holds us. It's the look of love. That was another popular song, right? The Look of Love, Dionne Warwick. Zechariah 2.8 was one of three places where we're called the apple of his eye. Whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. Don't you love that thought? You're the apple of God's eye, by virtue of the fact that Jesus' blood has cleansed us and made us whole. He laid down His life for us. Second, we are blessed by knowing that God is hearing us. He sees us, and He hears us. He's—we're uh, pretty hard of hearing, you know. We, even in Scripture, after all these years, you know, have a hard time. Hearing what God is saying in some texts, and even the ones I do know, I have a hard time sometimes fully carrying out, carrying them out, and believing them wholeheartedly. I can be hard of hearing as a believer. That's not good in relationships. You know, one one old gal said to her husband, "I'm so proud of you," and he said, "Oh yeah, well, I'm tired of you too." You know? <laughs> uh, we 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 just mishear. We mishear. God has perfect eyesight, perfect hearing. He hears what I say to others. And by the way, I didn't didn't put it back on the screen, but the the text at the beginning, remember, says, be like-minded, that's unified, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, humble. All that is measured by words. You can hear somebody's pattern of speech and know how true that is. Like-minded, sympathetic, loving one another, compassionate, and humble. All that is demonstrated by, this, by our speech patterns. You can measure it that way. He, he, this, this life that we're called to live means that the most severe thing to control, James says, is our tongues. And it's so easy to have a runaway tongue, right? Verse 10 says, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Makes me think we ought to talk much less, right? Because of our tongues. Now, we all mess up with our tongues. I say things all the time I shouldn't be saying, same things that aren't always noble and pure and right. Um, I, I, and I, that sometimes I think even the words of my mind that, that I stop before they're on my tongue, but they're up here. And I'm thinking, why are you thinking that? You know, and I have to stop it there so it doesn't come here. And sometimes I don't stop it, and it comes out here, you know. The, uh, um, it, it, uh, now, if there's habitual, the, uh, habitual pattern of speech of gossip, or even on to print, in print libel on, on social media, you know, sometimes you just, go back and read your words. Are those Christ honoring words that you wrote a week ago on Facebook or on Instagram? You know, are, is, is that appropriate? Did you build up or tear down? Did you expose something true and right and good and noble or something evil or, or that tears down, destroys? You know, those, that kind of pattern, the problem then is not the tongue at all. It's the heart because Jesus said it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So that's why hearing what we sound like, measuring our words, are so very, very important. And he even says here that if somebody insults you, don't feel proud of yourself if you don't insult them back. That's not far enough for a follower of Jesus. If somebody insults you, what's it say? Bless them. You might think, do I have to? Yeah, that's what it says. You have to. Yeah, you don't have a choice. You have to figure out how you're going to bless the person that insults you. What are you going to do? What action will you perform? What word will you say? What message will you send that you care about them as a person? Not to be holier than thou, but because that's what believers do, and that's what Jesus modeled before all of his critics. He still still reached to them even when they were crucifying him. This is a hard pattern to learn. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath. We know that sticks and stones do break our bones. We also know that words bring terrible harm to us. They shape us. They affect our esteem. They affect life journey and decisions It causes us to cower, to be torn down. Words are vitally important. Psalm 141 says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I think that would be good homework this week for us, to memorize that prayer and to pray it. What if I called you last night and said, Hey, Mark Links, uh, we are going to play the recording of all your words this past week. I hope you'd be sitting here in church. But maybe not. What if it was you? We're going to play. By the way, we're, every conversation, everything you texted, everything you posted is going to be before the church this week. wonder how many would show up. God knows those words. And we need to remember that we represent Him. God also hears when I call on Him, He hears what we say to others and to Him. He Hears our prayers. Now, we're tempted to, 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 to say, Is God really hearing me? Now, if you ask that question in the midst of your growing faith, I know the temptation is there. I'm not saying that God's only looking for perfect, but we're all flawed in our faith. But if you ask that question often enough, it's just revealing that you're listening to the lies of the evil one more than the truth of God. The more you're in the scripture, the more deeply you're in him. You know he's hearing you because the Bible tells us that over and over again, and you don't have to question. We pray, certainly, for his involvement. Where we pray for certain answers. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We, he commands us to represent all our requests to God, but he says what will happen to us is the peace of God will reign in us. That's what it says. It doesn't say that we'll ever like an answer, that will ever perceive it, that will ever get it. It just says, why, why is that true? How can peace come if I don't have any answers or if I don't have the right answers? Because in prayer, what we're doing says, God, I'm yours. I totally depend on any way you behave, any way you operate as God, no matter what, God, I'm in. I'm in all the way. So you don't have to worry about me checking out. I'm just telling you what my concerns are. So here they are. Do with them what you want. And then you walk away fully knowing God's going to take care of you. That's what it means. So easy to get self-consumed in our, in our, even in our prayer lives and to call God to prove himself to us. Friends, he already did that on the cross. He went to the nth degree to show you how much he loves you. He doesn't have to prove himself anymore, right? So regardless of what you feel about prayer, be assured. Psalm 34, same 30, it's the same psalm that, that, that Peter is quoting here in this text he doesn't quote this part of it but he goes on quoting it the psalm goes on here saying the righteous cry out and the lord hears them the lord is close up to the broken close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit i wonder who here has never been brokenhearted or crushed in spirit you can't live life without being brokenhearted sometime and being crushed in spirit right that's that's the story of our lives he turns his ear toward us. He, and, and he waits for us to call out to him. He is almighty. Jeremiah 33 says, Call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. There is so much. There is so much. What is it they say? We only use about a small little percentage of our brains, 10% or something. That's more obvious in some people than others, right? So, but imagine, if that's true of the physical brain that God made, how much more is found in the infinite one who is the creator of the brain. I can't can't fathom. We cannot fathom who he is. So maybe you have a broken heart today. Maybe you're living with a crushed spirit today. Turn, turn. He's turning his ear toward you. He wants you to keep calling out to him. He's almighty. I love what A.W. Tozer wrote. He said, An infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. Now, I can't do that. I mean, those of us who are parents, who you're raising kids, I can't, I've never been able to give all myself to each of my kids. They have different needs at different times. And you'll notice if you have more than one kid, you notice that one gets more attention, usually more than another one At sometimes at varying degrees because of their needs, just because where they are. And then you feel guilty. Oh, I'm neglecting that one. And so you turn, try to get them. Well, then you, this one. And you're, it's always this balancing act, right? And how are they all going to equally know you love them each the same? Because that's true. No problem with God. No problem. I love that statement. And then he says, he does not distribute himself that each may have a part, but to each one he gives all of himself as fully as if there were no others. Praise God. And we are blessed also third knowing that God is directing us. Verse 12 says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, if it's against those who do evil, then it's for those and toward those who are doing right who are obeying him. God is spirit. He is light. He is radiant. He is full of glory, and he cannot be measured, and yet he's intimate and personal. 2, Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 7 says, if my people who are called by name, by my name and will humble themselves and pray and seek my face... Then will I hear from heaven So he talks about the face of God, It's talking about the person of God, the involvement of God, the movement of God, the leaders of God. He's holy, and he cannot look on sin. So that's why when I sin, I lose sight of God's face. We can't sin and then expect to have the blessing of the face of God on our lives. Now. Uh, 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 Isaiah 59, too, says your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Now, I'm not saying you lo- we lose our salvation when we sin. Now, if we live in habitual sin where there's no repentance and I'm walking while God's pursuing me and, and, I, and I want out of, out of this thing, so he's gonna, he lets us walk. He doesn't force us to stay with him. We're idiotic if we do, but there are many people who walk away from him. They may not stop believing in him, but they've stopped stopped surrendering to him. Satan can't snatch us out of his hands, but we can jump out of the hand of God anytime we want. And so, therefore, we confess our sins. And we walk in light as he is in the light. God's, God's person, who he is, is unchangeable. But we do impact the involvement of God in our lives by our obedience and our increasing surrender to him. Now, it's also true. When I seek God's face, we enjoy his pleasure. When we, seek his, when we seek him to lead our lives. Psalm 27 says, Your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. God doesn't play cosmic hide-and-seek with us. He is not trying in any way making it difficult for people to get to him. He wants to be discovered. He wants to be known. He wants to be loved and served by us. And when you face decisions and options in life, we seek his face, his glory. Um, you know, we, we, when it comes even to relationships... For instance, let's say Diana and I are at a dinner party with three other couples, there's eight of us around the table, and I say something which I shouldn't say, which happens quite often in our relationship, all right? And so I say something that she doesn't think I should say, and she's across the table and she goes, you can't see me in the back, but you know what my face looks like, because you've received that face, right? Sure." Why? Well, I know what she's saying. Shut your mouth. You know, that's what she's saying. Don't go there. Don't go there. Uh, If if I'm up here uh, coughing a little bit and and I look at Jim right there and I go, you know, Jim probably, I think he wants me to get him water, you know. Uh, He's reading my face because of the situation. Um, We read face. The closer two people are in marriage, the more intimately bound you are. You just can read each other's faces pretty well countenance changes when things aren't right. There's an expression on the face. And then you say, what do you mean by that? Well, what, what, nothing. No, it's your face. You know, we, right? We do that. <laughs> Same with God. The closer more intimate we are with him, the more, the more easily, the, more, the easier it is to read his face. Because we're bound in scripture. We're bound in truth. We know how he operates. We know who he is. We know, we know he's for us and not against us. We know how he, how he thinks, what he thinks of me and all that. All that is about his face. And so we grow together in intimacy so that, so that we can know his truth. We can know his word. That's why if you're barely in the word, if you're just casually or in this every now and then, you'll never be able to really know the face of God. As he bound with him. Psalm 32 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. That's what he does. Second Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote Treasure Island. Maybe you had to read that in English class. And there's a scene when all the, they're in a storm and the... Passengers are all below deck for safety, but they're really fearing for their lives. So one of the passengers does something he shouldn't do. He comes up top and he sees the pilot of the ship has tied himself, lashed himself, so he won't be swept overboard. And the pilot just looks at the passenger and he smiles. That's it. And the passenger goes down below and simply says to the others, I have seen the face of the pilot. And he has smiled at me. All is well. Do not be afraid. That's the story, friends. When you are in Jesus Christ, God smiles on you. All is well. You do not have to be afraid. Psalm 4:6 says, Let the light of your face shine on us. Because of that, we can keep moving forward in life and in faith knowing he is for us and not against us. His smile reminds us that he is in charge. He's not in control. People say, oh, God's in control. Well, no, control means my free will's out of here. That's not true. God gives me free will. I'm not in control uh, of my family. I'm in charge, but there's free will in all my family members, right? There's free will among them, even though God calls me to be the leader of the family. It's two different things. He's in charge. But he gives you free will and me free will to do what we will with the truth that he's given us. He never panics. He's good because the Bible says the one enthroned in heaven laughs. While you're panicking or I'm panicking, he's giggling at our life circumstances because he knows what he is able to do through all this. He's watching. He's listening. He's directing our path. Irma Baumbeck was a comic writer years ago. She's gone now, but she wrote about being in church, and this little kid in front of her was turning around and grinning to people, and they were grinning, and finally the mom did, shh, stop grinning, you're in church. (laughs) We know there are some people that kind of view God that way, like, oh, it's a religious time, you know, and this stoicism comes over us, you know, and how ridiculous is that? You know, there ought to be, this ought to be your most comfortable place of the week. This ought to be the place where you feel most at home, the most relaxed to be really who you are. So uh, our pattern is we go to Aldi, then we go to Meijer, and then uh, checking out at Meyer, you know, several months ago, last year or so, there was a woman who saw me and we were chatting and talking about where I was going and it was going to be a hit, difficult situation. She took her cross off and she said, here, give this to the person you're going to go see. Thought, well, that was a pretty cool thing, you know? And then I noticed every time she was there working, and I'd walk out, she'd say, have a blessed day. And I found out later, she's been a follower of Jesus two years. But I thought, what a great testimony, because people who don't follow Christ can't say that. They might say, have a good day. Who don't want other people to have a good day? You know, except dirty, rotten scoundrels, right? <laughs> but most people say, well, have a good day. Have a blessed day. And you can have a blessed day every day when you know God sees you, he hears you, and he's directing your path. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for being this kind of God. That in the midst of all life's uncertainties, you are the rock. You stand the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you have proven yourself to us. And therefore, Father, we are most blessed. And you have given us every reason to trust you and to worship you in the name of Jesus. In him we pray.